Yes, welcome to the NBA panel. Today I'm, I'm honored to be joined by ESPN writer June Lee. June, what's going on? How's it going? Thanks for having me on. Everything's fine, man. It's been a while since we talked. Got to do this more often, bro. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a couple of years, I think. I know, right? It's crazy. It's definitely, definitely. Um, see, but Miss Fan busy though. How's your transition from Bleacher Report to ESPN? Uh, the transition's been good. I mean, uh, I've been at ESPN for let's see, almost going on three and a half years now, and uh, been able to to do a bunch of things, you know, across baseball, but also across some other sports too, and starting to get some television experience and just a little bit more experience. I think uh, talking on air and talking to camera and getting take. So all that's fun. I mean, it's just. Uh, I, working at ESPN was was such a dream for me for such a long time. So to be able to have the opportunity to live, live out a childhood dream on a day to day basis, it's uh, it is something that I definitely do not take for granted. Yeah, definitely, and that's your hard work paying off. Everything literally will come. Got to stay the course. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really. that's all you can do. Definitely, and you have, you've been doing covers of all major sports from NFL, NBA to MLB. How does it feel you being so versatile and so knowledgeable in all the sports? That's, that's, a, that's a plus. That's a yeah, I plus. mean, I, I grew up in Boston, so following every single sport was just kind of a given. So what you do if you're a sports fan growing up near the city. I mean, I grew up from, you know, 2004, 2003 through, you know, my time in the end of high school, 2013, where every single Boston sports team was winning a championship. I mean, between Tom Brady and the Red Sox breaking the curse and – the big three Celtics era and right. the, the Bruins with Patrice Bergeron and Zidane Chara. Like it was impossible to not become an enormous sports fan when you're living in a city where every single team is just the best at what they do. And so right. for me, I think as someone who just like kind of fell in love with sports as a way for me to kind of make friends as like a first generation American in this country. Right. And it was just kind of a thing for me to talk to people about school it was just the natural thing to do is to pick up the Boston Globe and Boston Herald in the morning and read about last night's game and, and watch last night's game and all that stuff. So for me, like following everything is just something that I have always loved to do. And it, it, I think it just helps to make me um, kind of think more critically just about what's going on in the sports world and what's going right. on in our country as well. Right. And you're a regular on around the horn. You've been a regular on around the horn. I've had the pleasure to speak with Star Spain, Woody Page, and Bob Ryan frequently on NBA panel, which is, a, I'd say, a blessing because they're also knowledgeable and great people all around. How does it feel being around the horn and being panelists with them from time to time? Yeah, it's really crazy. I mean, Around the Horn was one of my favorite sports shows growing up. Yes. I watch it every single day. Me after too. School, I just, yeah, I mean, I, I, turn on, I turn on the TV and uh, after getting home and uh, just watching Tony Reale and Woody and yes. uh, Alishaw and J.A., all those guys kind of go off talking about sports for me. Yes seeing Pablo Torre and Nina Kimes as an Asian American myself, like seeing them on camera talking about sports was something that was very inspirational just because there wasn't a whole lot of Asian Americans on TV when, when I was growing up. I think that's changed now, especially right. of course the last five years or so. Right. But seeing all that has been a total dream come true. I mean, uh, being able to, you know, now call Tony reality a friend when uh, I was right. able, I was watching him on TV for such a long time growing up. It's, it's all really crazy. And just being able to, have an opportunity to have that kind of platform to kind of bounce my thoughts off of some of uh, the most, uh, the people in sports whose opinions I respect the most and you know, try to work to get better at my craft and thinking yes. about sports and <laughs> trying to come up with unique angles. 
Uh, it's something that uh, it's, it's, I have to pinch myself so often just because it's something that I really dreamed of happening. I, I never really knew or, or, or you know, imagined that it could actually happen. So to, when, I, when I do sit in front of the camera and I have an opportunity to, to see the other panelists and see Tony and you know, have, play, play the game show that is around the horn, it's right. something that I, I mean, it's something I feel so blessed to be able to, to, to do. Yeah, Tony Reilly, Tony Reilly is a great host. He's one of my favorite hosts. Him and Bob Cross are, are like top three. Um, how's it being in, in, in not, not to say the hot seat when you want to run the horn? Because when time starts ticking down, you got to get the point across. Sometimes you might get flustered or, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember the first time I did the show, I was so nervous. And okay. I was just sweating bullets. And right. I, I, the entire day felt like a blur because it was kind of my first time doing television that would be seen by you know, as many people have watched around the horn and, right. you know, seeing Tony and seeing a set and seeing my name on the set and yes. just getting prepared for the entire thing, doing the conference call, all of that stuff. It was so surreal. I mean, I could barely sleep the night before. And I think it's taken time for me to kind of settle into being in that seat and seeing myself on the panel with right. um, you know, people like Bob Ryan and Jackie Mack and, you know, Donde and, and Tim Blackstone and, all, and Woody and all these people who, who I watched growing up yes. and feeling like, oh, my, I'm, I'm on this show for a reason. You know, like I'm on this show because they want the producers of the show, the people um, who are behind the scenes to make the show what it is. You know, right. they want to hear my perspective next to people who, whose opinion, you know, I often felt like growing up, like, oh, you know, these are the people that I listen to to get their perspective on the world. And, right. Um, I think it's taken time for me to kind of accept the fact that, um, you know, I have to kind of speak up from my point of view too, because that's the whole purpose of having me on the show. I can't just kind of be deferential and right. <laughs> be polite and all this stuff. And so I, I think right. there's been a level of imposter syndrome in just being on that show and being able to uh, be on the panel with all these people that I respect immensely yeah. on a weekly basis. It's something that, um, it, I mean, if you told me as a kid growing up that I would have had this opportunity, um, I, I, I think I, I think I just would have been the happiest kid on earth. Right. I mean, for me personally, we've been able to talk to Woody Page and Bob Ryan. Like I said, it's special because they're so knowledgeable and just I'm, I'm like a sponge every time I speak with them and all my guests. Right. They're so knowledgeable with this. Yeah, and they lead the conversation so easily because they're so. They're just one of one. <laughs> yeah, they're just so, such unique people. I mean, yes. being able to hear Bob talk about basketball and you know, talking to him about covering the Celtics and being around Larry Bird and all the experiences that he had covering those teams and yes. you know, hearing Woody talk about growing up with Elvis and yes. all the insane Woody, Woody, Woody's stories are crazy. <laughs> yeah, Woody has some insane stories. I mean, yes. hearing the experiences that so many of my colleagues have and share in the, in the perspective that they bring on that show. Yeah. Something that I, it, I really do not take for granted because it feels like uh, such an opportunity that's uh, so unique that I, I need to make sure that I'm soaking things up as much as I can. Cause, you know, I'm the youngest person on the show. I often just feel like, what am I doing here? And so I, I try to learn as much as I can from everyone else on, you know, how to do what they've done so yes. well at the top of their game yes. for such a long time. Definitely. Got to learn from the best to be the best. That's how I look at it. <laughs> Definitely. Absolutely, man. 
Um, your MLB covers. You've done, you've did some great World Series covers. Tell us about your thoughts on the um, World Series. Astros got the Phillies. I mean, it was a good series, but the Phillies needed to get that last home game, and that was a wrap after that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, the Astros ultimately, I think, were the most consistent, good team throughout the course of the entire season, and okay. they built up a roster and a farm system that has been so consistent, developing top tier players. I mean, I think the fact that Jeremy Pena won. The World Series MVP is so emblematic of the reason why the Astros are in this position, why they've become a dynasty, of course, in the last decade in baseball, because they're so good at just plugging and playing guys from their farm system when they lose guys like Carlos Correa, who can come in and, and be at the top of their game with Fernando Valdez, uh, Luis right. Garcia. Uh, there's so many great players that this team has been able to develop over the course of the last yeah. five years, ten years, that have kind of put them in the position to succeed. And I was just glad to see the Phillies in the World Series just because I always love a little bit of chaos in the baseball playoffs. It's always right. a team that you wouldn't necessarily expect to make it that far, go that far, because I think we see in the NBA and the NFL all the time where the top seeds are often the teams that make it all the way. And right. you can kind of <clears throat> write things in a shock. And having that level of unpredictability, I think, brings yeah. the drama and gives you a reason to watch because you know that – you know, it's not just going to be the Warriors uh, as the number one seed versus the Bucks as the number one seed you know, going all the way to the NBA Finals. You might have Philadelphia Phillies who finish in third place uh, go to the World Series because they got hot at the right time and they, they you know, bested team of five-game series. Yeah, the city was electric with the Phillies in the um, World Series. It took focus away from the um, Sixers, who right now were like struggling and hardens out for the foreseeable future. And so NBA's going to carry the lose. Hopefully he stays healthy right now in the 11th right now. And we have a couple of teams on top, which is expected to be with the Bucks. A couple of teams didn't expect to be there, which are the Cavs and the Jazz. The Jazz are, I don't know if Danny Ainge won it, just like you said, it's over and over. I don't know if Danny Ainge won it right now, because they're like 8-3 right now. It's so. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> but I'd love to see what Danny Ainge's respect on Danny Ainge's response right now, if I could be a fly on the wall, honestly. <laughs> I don't think you could have possibly imagined uh, the way that this team has kind of come together over the course of the first 10 games. Now, I'm not convinced that this is what the Jazz are going to be the entire year. I mean, we're still right. 11 yep. games in. And right. you know, as, as good as like a guy like Rory Markin is, and who I think has always kind of been an over underrated excuse me, player, um, yeah. but I think the thing that has stood out has been the fact that they've spread out their success over – a lot of depth. I mean, it's not just Laurie who's doing well. Jordan Clarkson had a really good year. Yes. Sexton has been really, really good. Uh, Con- Mike Conley is, you know, he's older, but he's still Mike yeah. Conley putting up down since the game. Kelly Olenek has had a good year. Malik Beasley's had a good year. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of success that's kind of gone around across the board. Uh, I think the, the Cavs are such a fascinating team to watch because yes. the dynamic is a little bit different than what you saw in Utah with Donovan Mitchell, where he was kind of he was forced into a position where he really had to be the number one scorer. And obviously, yeah. he's, he's, yeah. he's still the best scorer. Yeah, Garland. Yeah, he's still, the, he's still the best scorer in Cleveland. But when you have a guy like Darius Garland, who has yes. uh, taken enormous steps in the last couple of years, and you had a guy like Harris and Evan Mobley, who I think is going to be an absolute superstar, and you have Jared Allen there too. I mean, you have a bunch of guys who can kind of take the load off in a way that I don't think was possible in Utah. Yeah. So a lot of guys, guys that other teams fear – um, more, uh, you know, much more than Mitchell's cast with the Utah right. Jazz. Right. And so I think that kind of freed him up to become 
a more dynamic scorer. He doesn't, he's not the primary ball handler anymore, which I think is a huge deal because I've always thought Donovan Mitchell wasn't a great passer. And was one of the things that was kind of holding him back in Utah was that he had to be the primary ball handler, which is also one of the reasons why I think that it was much better fit for him to go to Cleveland than it was to go to New York where he kind of would have had a similar role. And so, yeah, yeah he yeah, would have. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think the two things that are going to determine what Cleveland's feeling is going to be this year is – you know, kind of how, how good Darius Garland continues to get as kind of a secondary scorer, uh, one of the leaders on, on the team. And also the continued steps in, in we see from Evan Mobley as a guy who's yeah. already a really talented uh, post player, but also what kind of t- steps he takes defensively as well. I mean, he's got the flash, he's gotten well, but it's so obvious that this dude is going to have an incredible skill set for such a long time. Um, he, he doesn't depend on the physicality and the athleticism that, that can kind of go away with injury. Um, this is a guy that I think that is going to be a really good sender for, you know, 10, 15 years. And so I'm really excited to see what this, this Cavs team turns into because I think that there's so much possibility with them. Uh, right. and, and there's also there's so much room to grow with, with a guy like Donovan, too. I mean, I, I don't think that we've seen the best of him. Um, yeah, I think he's kind of in the perfect situation to maximize his own skill set as well. Yes, yeah, so we have Tevin Love pulling up from the corner and everyone on the floor spreading the floor consistently. So yeah, that's going to be a problem in the playoffs. But the play-in digs, they're going to be a tough out. <laughs> they're yeah, be somewhere. I'm, I, I'm not sure that they're going to be the number two seed. I mean, I think we're going to see the Celtics play better over the course of the season. I mean, they, they obviously, they were the number one defense in the NBA last year. Yes. Um, and they haven't been that under Missoula so far. And there, there's been some inconsistency in just how their offense uh, and their defense have looked in the early part of the season. The Cavs have beat them multiple times um, yes. so far. But, you look at Jason Tatum right now. Jason Tatum this offseason clearly had a chip on his shoulder after losing in the NBA Finals. And he's yes. enormously forward in just kind of the dynamic moves that he brings in the paint. I mean, he's clearly added a bunch of stuff um, just in the paint so far uh, throughout the course of the year. And, and Jalen Brown's had a really good year as well so far. Yes. And I think Malcolm Brogdon is a huge, enormous missing piece for this team because if you watch the Celtics last year, one of the things that they were missing – was a primary scorer in the second year and a guy who could distribute the ball. Because as good as Derek White was at times in the playoffs, he's not a guy who can just automatically kind of put up points if he needs to. Brockton is a guy who can do that for the second year. And so I think having that guy uh, kind of as a sixth man, I think kind of completely changes the ceiling of this team. And we'll see kind of the effect that having a a new head coach again for the second straight year, uh, what, what kind of effect that that has over the course of the entire season. Um, I, the players clearly like Missoula, but obviously Ime Odoka was a dude that a lot of people on that team really loved and was able to bring a lot out of out of that group defensively, especially last year. Yes, the Lakers, I want to throw some Lakers for a little bit. Um, they're 14th right now. I don't want to say to this start, but I also don't think they want to really put them to be major contenders. But um, LeBron's in year 20, and he still has to be on the floor all the time for them consistently to have a chance to win, even though they've been losing. And he's basically had ankle problems. I don't know if he can keep this up all season, and Anthony Davis is playing better. But if he goes down and LeBron goes down, they're going to be in a whole heap of trouble. Yeah, I think that that we're seeing right now is LeBron in decline. I mean, you look at the numbers, and the numbers are too different from his career numbers. I mean, still putting up 24 points a game. Yeah, but they're down um, from his average, yeah. Yeah, a, a take under nine rebounds, like seven assists. Like, if you look at LeBron's entire career, other than the point total, it's pretty consistent to what he's been throughout the course of – you know, his, his, you know, right. his, his, his in the league since he was in, in, in 2003. Um, but I think the thing that is different is that the way that guys 
and other teams are defending LeBron has changed, where they don't have to put a, up a double team on LeBron anymore. I think that the effect that LeBron has on the rest of his teammates, the, the attention that other guys are getting because LeBron is not as dynamic as he used to be, I right. think that the Lakers are really feeling that because, you know, we used to see LeBron being able to t- carry teams with, you know, uh, Booby Gibson uh, and Anderson yeah. <laughs> and Zachary yeah. to the NBA Finals. I don't think this LeBron could do that anymore because he doesn't have that sort of kind of magnetic pull defensively for opposing teams as he used to. And yes. you're also seeing a, a roster that's way too top-heavy in terms of the salary that's submitted to a guy like Anthony Davis, who's just always concerned with the injuries, and Russell Westbrook, who obviously just isn't rust from a couple of years ago. Yes. I mean, you look at this roster right now, and the top four scorers, uh, or LeBron, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, and Lonnie Walker was 50 points a game. And after that, kind of falls off. I mean, they don't have the depth, and they don't have a, a, a roster built around LeBron to maximize his skill set. They don't have shooters, which is something that was just baffling uh, that the Lakers didn't do this offseason, going out and getting some shooters. And I, I think about all the time what the Lakers would look like right now. if you, you got to that fork in the road where you had the opportunity to trade for Russell Westbrook, and you had the opportunity to trade for Buddy Heald. This team is in a, probably in a much, much better situation trading for Buddy Heald, having not as much committed to Buddy Heald, uh, and having a shooter around LeBron than they, than they are right now at this moment. Because it's not just about this season. Like, they are kind of screwed in terms of how they build out their roster just given the lack of graphics and the yes. lack of capital that they have uh, for the next couple of years. Yes, because pitching when LeBron, say LeBron walks away for the next couple of years, the roster, like you said, is basically locked in. And if, if, if Anthony Davis doesn't show that he can be the franchise leader which over the, past, over the last few years because of injury, he hasn't been that guy. If they say they can't depend on health-wise, they might move on for him to blow up the whole squad. But how Laker fans are, they don't like to see a rebuild. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, I mean, they with, with AD, too, like, it, you know, he can be as – when he's on the court and he's at his best, he's one of the best, most yeah. dynamic players in the NBA – but part of leadership is being on the court. I think LeBron right. James is the best example of that. And right. if you're not on the court for half the season, which he hasn't been for the last uh, two years, there's, yeah. I mean, there's, there's only, I mean, there's, there's only so much you can do to be the leader of the team. And Anthony Davis is still 29 years old. Like, this is a guy yeah. that the Lakers have committed a lot of money to for a long amount of time. And you're just not sure if you're going to see him on the court for more than 40 games every single year right now. Definitely. And speaking of being on the floor, Kawhi came back game one, put in some work, hasn't been back. I mean, we don't know what's going on with his knee. It's like there's something more going on. But, I mean, I'm the person that looks at the whole big picture, gets information first. But, I mean, he's not playing, so that's showing something's wrong. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm generally never optimistic about the Clippers. Um, because, <laughs> yeah, just given, given just uh, – I understand. Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't ever believe in the Clippers on a year-to-year basis because you look at the way that this team has been constructed, and, you know, on paper, this is a great team for 2K, right? Like, you have Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. But when you see it actually play out on the floor the way that it has, and then you have the injury issues and yeah. uh, the difficulty in managing Kawhi, I mean, I feel like that's one of the things that has been totally understated in why the Clippers have struggled is, you're seeing so much about the load management and you're seeing so much about uncle Dennis and all the distractions that come with Kawhi. Uh, And it it has been hard for him to, or for for the Clippers that, I mean, he hasn't played more than uh, 52 games uh, for the Clippers 
since he got there. I mean, he played two games last year, played 57 games in his first year with the Clippers. Right. I mean, again, leadership is part, part of just being on the court and contributing to the team. And when you have – when you get to the playoffs and you don't have that experience, you know, in, in the crunch time moments, playing with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and everyone else. I mean, John Wall had a couple moments last night where he looked vintage. But John Wall's so old and he's so he, he so depends on his feet. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, a, a lot of the, the bench around the Clippers, I think, looked pretty good last year. Um, right. But I think the problem with the Clippers is almost the opposite from the Lakers, where I just don't trust, uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard to be there on a on a night night basis. you know, I, I think that the supporting cast is pretty good for yeah. the Clippers, but Kawhi is ultimately the big piece, and I just. At this point, I just don't have a whole lot of trust in him to, to be there uh, and for the team to kind of develop enough of a dynamic to go to go far once the postseason comes along. All right. Um, I don't know if the Warriors are on a championship hangover or implementation of Wiseman back into the lineup. I mean, that is the hard thing to do is implement players back into a healthy lineup because it's going on around, all around the league. But, I mean, they had the, they had the players, they had Steph, Clay, um, Draymond, and then Poole is – Basically, the fourth fast brothers now, or third. So I think they'll get it together, but it's hard looking at them struggle right now. Yeah, I mean, they're three seven, they're fourth, but they're still the Warriors. I mean, this is a team. Yeah, they're still the <laughs> Like, Steph Curry still hasn't lost the steps. And, right. you know, Clay isn't what he used to be, especially after that injury. And, you know, he's not the two way player that he used to be. But right. I think this team is still kind of adapting towards giving Jordan Poole a bigger role. I mean, he got the money now. So he yeah. knows that. He's an enormous part of this team. And then you know, Draymond isn't also the player that he used to be either. I mean, Draymond is one of my favorite players to watch on a night to night basis because he's just the ultimate definition of a, of a glue guy. You know, right. one of those guys you have to watch on a night to night basis to understand you know, his impact on a team um, versus look at the stats. I'm personally not worried about the Warriors long-term just because right. I think that they're going to be able to figure things out. And you yeah. know, I think a guy like Dante DiVincenzo has been a nice little addition to that team. Moses Moody has been, has been pretty good as well. Um, this is, I, I, I think Wiseman is kind of one of those guys who is going to partially determine the ceiling of this team. And he's still 21 years old. I mean, he didn't play a lot. In, I mean, he, barely, he didn't play in college at Memphis because of all of the recruiting violations. I mean, he hasn't right. played a ton of basketball, period, the last couple of years. And so I'm still kind of optimistic about Wiseman because he, he still does show flashes of, of being the number, one, number two overall pick and being that top-tier talent that was recruited to Memphis back in the day. Um, but, you know, Andrew Wiggins has also, you know, has still been pretty, pretty decent this year as well. I mean, yeah. I, I'm not worried about the Warriors long-term because the talent is there. And ultimately, the talent is usually what wins out in the NBA. They have more depth in town than pretty much everyone else in the league. Yeah, one team that's also going to be going to be all right is our Denver Nuggets. Well, you know what Nuggets can do when Jamal Murray get back up to speed. We have Bones Highland, who's evolving. Michael Porter Jr. is back. They're going to be a whole problem in the West. I can see yeah, that I mean, coming. I definitely I mean, see that coming. <laughs> I mean, I, I love that you brought up, brought up Bones, because I think every time that I tune into a Nuggets game, he just does a couple of things every single night that kind of jump out. Like, he just has yes. a, a cut. Uh, to the basket, where he just kind of his athleticism kind of really shows up. I mean, he put up a lot of really good highlights this year as well, which is not the most important thing in the world. But Jokic is still Jokic. Right. I mean, yes. I, watching him play on a night to night basis is just one of the most fun things to do because you just see his creativity. I mean, him and Luca, yes. two of the most creative passers I've ever seen. I mean, the way that they're able to see angles, the way that they're able to just kind of throw balls past people is, is really great. And then I'm really curious to see the progression 
of Michael Porter Jr. heading in uh, to this year because we've seen the flashes. We've seen the talent that made yeah. him, you know, the, the number one high school prospect going into Missouri, and then obviously he fell to the back injury right. uh, and everything that he's dealt with there. But he has shown flashes of being such an exciting player and such being a really dynamic player. He's putting up 17 points a game, seven and a half rebounds so far this year. Um, he's shooting 47% from the field. Yeah, he he's he's going to be a player that I think ultimately determines this team's championship aspirations, alongside whether or not Jamal Murray is able to to kind of nurse his his legs and his quickness back to health, and he's able to kind of find the the confidence to to make the cuts and the leaps that he he was before. Um, I mean, Jamal, I think is just is personally one of my favorite kind of yeah. dynamic stars in the league. Um, but I think Bones and I think Michael Porter Jr. Are, are kind of the two keys to the team and unlocking the the ceiling, whether or not they're able to make it pass because Jokic is obviously one of the best players in the NBA. And um, yes. having, having a guy as talented as him is half the journey to being able to compete for a championship. Definitely. Talent wins talent and defense wins championship. Just not defense. <laughs> you, need, you, need, you need elite offense also. So it goes hand in hand. Uh, June, always a pleasure to speak with you, man. I definitely took out sooner than later this time. <laughs> have you back on. Definitely. Think of me on, man. I appreciate no, it. No problem, man. Have the rest of your day. Yeah, you too. Uh, yes, that was ESPN writer June Lee once again joining me. Catch you next time.